This is Popcorn by Her, Volume 3, by Jean T. Pierre Alex Jean T. 37. When she is standing in her truth, stand with her, or choose to stand behind her as she comfortably marches deeper into it. There are women who are misunderstood, and those who are understood but unaccepted. Despite that, be you, my dear. Page 38. She is a woman first. Keep this truth alive in your mind. Let it marinate in your heart and grow roots within you. She may be a wife carrying a love for you that you never thought you'd be able to believe in, or a girlfriend you will never be able to replace. A mother who shows why women are such miracles. Just like the fathers, the boyfriends, the husbands, with their chests out boldly, say, I am a man before anything. She is a woman first, and don't you forget that. Oh, thanks. And you know what? Billy Joel agrees. Good morning. Um, I should be getting on my way soon, but it's now 7-11 a.m. on um, Saturday, June 10th. And I'm getting ready to pack my, or I'm packing my car. And um, I just sat down to take a break for a moment and did a popcorn reading. And this is what came up. It's 2023. First, I went to, first I popcorned to um, Hyena from the Wild Unknown Animal Spirit book. Let me see if I can find it again. Sorry. Hyena. Humor, wit, sarcasm. The hyena personality is a jokester and a crowd pleaser, but below the surface, there are unfulfilled dreams to be realized. When the hyena card appears, it is time to reflect on your reliance on sarcasm and humor to express your truth. 
Are you using jokes to hide old resentments and relationships or to mask things that you feel uncomfortable discussing? What would happen if you took your goals seriously? When in balance, charming, witty, fun to be around. When out of balance, scrappy, petty, suspicious. When are to bring into balance sobriety? And then, oh, here, I'll do it as a separate reading. But next was um, Eleanor Roosevelt. Tomorrow is now. I'll just go ahead. So then I popcorned to this from this book. Tomorrow is now. Penguin classic, Eleanor Roosevelt. And I popcorned to chapter, is it chapter three? Must be. The World Revolution. To fight out a war, you must believe something and want something with all your might. So you must do to carry... Excuse me. Anything else to an end worth reaching. More than that, you must be willing to commit yourself to a course, perhaps a long and hard one, without being able to foresee exactly where you will come out. That's a quote by Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. This is the era of world revolution. On every continent, revolutions are going on. Some of these are political, some are economic, some are ideological. There are revolutions of backward peoples and revolutions of poor peoples, not always the same thing. There are always revolutions of men seeking economic security and revolutions of men seeking a political voice in their government. Again, not always the same thing. Whatever the land, whatever its degree of civilization or economic stability, whatever the source of its immediate protest, there is an implicit in all these revolutions the basic aspiration of all men for freedom, for the human spirit, for the expression and recognition of their human dignity. What fundamental hunger which the institutions of the United States were designed to satisfy. And yet, as we watch the course of those revolutions, we become uneasily aware that in many cases, once independence has been achieved, there follows a period of letdown. Self-government, the building of every institution from the ground up, providing trained men, establishing some form of self-protection from hostile nations and ideologies, looms as a gigantic and frustrating task for peoples who have had no background of training in citizenship. So they look inevitably toward the land which first established proof that colonies might be free. They want guidance and encouragement and understanding help without the kind of interference that we ourselves would never tolerate. And so far they chiefly, or so far they find chiefly an ambivalent attitude, a lack of direction in our thinking about these new lands, a shilly-shallying way of saying, will we, won't we? In the space of half a generation, 
The face of our world has changed. The old landmarks are gone. Governments are gone. Ways of life are gone. And through the scientific discoveries that have been revealed, one after another, new worlds, new ways of life are beginning to emerge. Today, men are exploring outer space. They have unleashed the unknown immeasurable power for good or for evil. And that power is here to stay. Most of us, whether dimly or vividly, have come to, the rec- have come to recognize this revolutionary force as it finds expression around the world, in the Far East, in India, in Africa, in South America. What most of us have failed to recognize is the dominant fact of our own country. We too are living through a revolution. In fact, we have been feeling its impact with increasing force during the past 10 years. It is time that we discover our own revolution, understand what it is doing to us and its implications for the future. Of course, there is a general... Excuse me again. There is a general awareness that for a decade we have been going through a scientific revolution. But what we have failed to grasp is that if you have a revolution in one area, it is bound to affect all other areas. Our scientific revolution has inevitably had and will continue to have a revolutionary effect on our economy. That revolution in our economy is causing a social revolution. That, in turn, is bringing irresistible pressures to bear, which will, which must, affect our whole approach to education. How does it happen that we have not already faced this tremendous upheaval, this revolution which, while not filled with bloodshed, as in some other lands, is equally far-reaching? The chief reason, I think, is fear. Change means the unknown. It means being jolted out of a rut that has grown comfortable and familiar from a long residence. It means too many people cry. Insecurity. Nonsense. None or no one from the beginning of time has ever had security. When you leave your house, you do not know what will happen on the other side of the door. Anything is possible. But we do not stay at home on that account. After all, the man who cowers under a tree in a storm, thinking that he is secure, merely runs more risk from the lightning. The time has come for us to cast off our fear like a worn-out garment. It clouds the judgment. It paralyzes action. Causes for fear? Of course there are, but there always were. We fear the bomb, and rightly. But for hundreds of years, the hapless peoples of the world were threatened by forces that were, at that time, completely beyond their control. By the Black Death, which killed one out of four in Europe, year after year, by cholera and smallpox and pestilence. 
Today we are free of those fears because we have learned to understand them and eliminate their causes. Now we have knowledge of the bomb, knowledge with which we could destroy our civilization, and we are afraid. But action is great is better than the paralysis of fear. We have to learn to think freshly about our new revolutionary world, to free our intelligence from the shackles of fear, and set it to work on the most challenging problem we have ever faced, the preservation of our civilization. To no generation has such a challenge been given with courage and faith, with intelligence, the free use of the mind in tackling new problems, we can meet it greatly. In my opinion, the American people were thrown off balance by the Russian launching of the first space missile. Since then, we have been following the development of the Russian science, especially in outer space, with a kind of dread. People say, they are ahead of us and they are afraid. They lose sight of the fact that in most fields, the Soviets lag far behind us. Indeed, when we shift our attention from men in orbit and potential journeys to the moon, we are clearly aware that there are few ways in which the Soviets have been able to meet the challenge of the democracies here on Earth. Later, I shall take up one by one the areas in which the Soviets have failed and continue to fail to achieve the results that they have so long promised to their people. But first, I want to discuss the ways in which new, this new scientific revolution has been used to shift our attention away from our own strength and our own purposes to focus it instead on Soviet activities in outer space. As I go around this country and the world, talking to large groups of people, I am struck by the repetition of the same questions over and over. People ask, what is Khrushchev doing? What is he planning? Does he do this better? How can we rival him or surpass him? Instead of that, I would like to hear the voice of the American people ring out loud and clear, proud and self-confident saying, this is what we are doing. This is what we believe. This is the kind of world we want. This is the kind of world we intend to work for. Because, and never doubt it, given a chance to see both sides honestly, all men who care about freedom will know where they belong. But what has been our answer to the challenge of nuclear power? Which has revolutionized our world? We are continuing to experiment with nuclear testing because of the mutual distrust that exists between two great powers we must take turns setting off greater and greater explosions in the oldest and most futile form of international politics the age-old struggle to maintain a balance of power in making this momentous decision of course the president of the united states has little choice by his oath of office, he is obliged to accept the terrible risk. Otherwise, he would be endangering the national security. The other pressures are overwhelming to keep our knowledge a little ahead of what our scientists believe the Soviets have achieved. As far as the land, or excuse me, as far as the lay mind can see, this senseless and literally deadly competition 
can go on at infinitum. But at some point, as more people acquire the same information, there may be an accident. Who can be sure that on some occasion, some youngster may not make an accident or make a mistake? Radar is a wonderful thing, but it is sometimes difficult to interpret what is seen on the screen. So even the controls themselves can prove to be fallible. In meantime, without this major catastrophe, what may we be doing to the human race? Unfortunately, unfortunately, we know more about nuclear power than we do about the effects of fallout. But it is possible that we are continuing to pollute the air dangerously to condemn who knows how many unborn children to malformed bones. We are disturbing and right, or excuse me, we are disturbed and rightly so because a few thousand babies have been crippled by a dangerous drug. Yet we have not expressed the same indignation. We have not made the same determined effort to prevent the condemnation of infinitely more children by this insane arms race. The present situation puts every human being in the world in constant potential danger every day of his life. Now the madness in this lies in the fact that we do not want a nuclear war, just as certainly the Soviets do not want one. There is no victor in such a war. There is only destruction on a worldwide scale. The bomb will be something to live with as long as mankind exists. We have come to learn to cope with it before it's too late. We mean that we have, this means that we have got to learn to change our thinking, to look afresh at the new elements in our world and find new ways to deal with them. Since we do not have another Benjamin Franklin who could look at everything in his world freshly, we will have to look or learn to be our own Franklins. But while we hear the handcuffs of fear, or while we wear, excuse me, excuse me, but while we wear the handcuffs of fear, we are not free to consider the ultimate choices of their meaning. There is no conceivable cause, or excuse me, any better readers, I guess. There is no conceivable excuse for a great nation like ours being carried along helplessly on, quote, the wave of the future. We can decide our direct, the direction of our own course. We must now turn our imaginations toward the area, area of what can be done concretely to meet this problem and prevent total destruction. We know that the continuation of a race between the United States and the USSR and continued tests of greater or less power can lead nowhere but to ultimate disaster. It is curious that after the first stunned horror of Hiroshima, after mankind's first shock of realization that an evil genie had been released, a kind of apathy descended, 
like the grape growers who live on the side of Vesuvius year after year, knowing that periodically the volcano will erupt and their vines, their homes, their families may be consumed in burning lava. People settled back with a fatalistic shrug as though to say, it's very tragic, but after all, what can we do about it? It reminds me of of gun violence. To the scientific revolution. Oh, so the scientific revolution hit the United States as it hit the rest of the world. And we began to sustain a number of other shocks. This was after World War II to be a world that would cooperate for its mutual benefit. A world that, sick of bloodshed and destruction and hatred, would live at peace. With the threat of Nazi conquest vanquished, all would be well. Was it? Instead, we found a divided world. One part of that world was quite sure that its beliefs must be accepted by all mankind, or otherwise, as they put it, the law of the future cannot be carried out. One of the first steps taken by the Soviets to implement this policy was to train scientists. But this was a kind of scientific training, a new kind of scientific training. In the past, scientists have been educated with a view to seeking and sharing knowledge. These men, however, were attempting, for purely military reasons, to control the knowledge discovered from time to time and in other parts of the world. Within an incredibly short period, Partly by the use of defecting scientists from the West, the Soviets shared the grim knowledge of the bomb. From that time on, we have been at an impasse. Neither side dares unleash nuclear warfare, each side to maintain the precarious balance of power, continues to test. I have no more trust in the Soviet leaders than any other person. But I think that we must give them credit for a certain amount of common sense and self-interest. Their people are paying a heavy toll in sacrifice of comforts, even in daily necessities, to maintain their heavy armaments program. For involved in this insane death struggle is an incalculable, incalculable amount of money. The United States is also putting vast sums of money into military developments and experimentation. It is true that we have a great deal of money. It is also true that most of us have not yet felt the drain in our daily lives to a great extent. But in countries that are today beginning from scratch, as the Soviet Union did 40 years ago, and Red China is doing now, this drain is felt. Think of what we could do if we were, all of us, to channel these vast sums of money into other fields. We could eliminate pockets of poverty. We could improve health and education. If this is true for the United States, how much more must it apply to developing countries or countries with old civilizations that they are having to modernize in order to meet the more modern countries on an equal basis. Without further delay, we must face the implications of our scientific revolution and evolve workable plans for directing its course.